I hear you clear. Yeah, and I think I hear myself. It's strange. Pick our fears that you're not feel it in my Pick our love with thing of the past. Romance is alive and well. Just get my old lady in there. I'm your sweet self-desire. I don't know to go too long. Before I live down in little nowhere. It's dreams of love. Streams of gold. They got my phone yeah, lining. Sounds, sounds much more like it. You got your life too. <laughs> Think of all of the great things that you will do. Think of the love you'll make in. Think of the fear you'll be. I'll follow your lead. So, uh, this is Garrett Anderson coming at you live on Sunday. Uh, help me out here, December. My watch says December 11th. 11th. I should know that because I've been publishing reports with timestamps. Oh, there's timestamps on them today. Um, uh, but uh, I do have a, a very special guest here. Um, Andrew Bustamante um, is here. Uh, and uh, he's here for family, right? Personal. And uh, I thought I would snag him for a couple moments to do a live at you. Um, Andy is a, a good friend and, and a mentor of mine and, and personal and, and professional and also uh, for my music passion. Um, we've uh, had some nice discussions that have fueled um, my own sensibilities about what's happening with, uh, with my music career and with my, just with my life in general, um, where I want to be and, uh, and who I want to be and how we're going to get there. Um, and Andy has a very exciting um, new endeavor for himself the Live Me Now movement, um, which I am, I'm, uh, you know, proud to be a supporter of and to, and to help kind of pressure test and um, to try to live those values. Um, so uh, without further ado, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and a little bit about the uh, Live Me Now. Yeah, sure thing. Thank you. Uh, thank you for all the kind words, Garrett. That was uh, quite the quite the intro. I certainly uh, count myself lucky to be considered a mentor uh, and a family friend by anybody, especially by by your family. Um, so yeah, the Me Now movement uh, is an endeavor that I've uh, kicked off. Uh, the Live Me Now, Me Now movement uh, phraseology, there's a kind of comparison between the website, www.livemenow.com, um, vice the actual movement that I'm trying to create, which is the Me Now movement. It all bases itself around those two words, Me Now. Uh, the idea there is that uh, I feel like uh, many of us uh, within society have been uh, have been taught and uh, programmed to believe that thinking about yourself is the same thing as being selfish, mm. and that taking action is something that has to be pushed off. Uh, so the idea of doing something for yourself right now is the worst combination of both things. It's a selfish act, uh, and it's an act that, that undermines patience and, uh, and strategic thinking. So as a result, everybody's trying to prevent from being perceived as being selfish and trying to push off their desires and their intentions uh, for a more appropriate time. So as a result, I feel like many people struggle because they feel like they're living in a world where it can't be about them and it most certainly can't be about them right now. 
So we put work first or family first, uh, where me now believes that we will all find the best parts of ourselves if we pursue something about me right now. Mm-hmm. And every moment that that comes to your mind, me now, a very simple thing to think about, then it's a, it's a reminder, a mantra to check in and find out what am I doing for me that I can do right now. Right. So it's a, it's a way to, to have self-talk and, and, and a, a structure for yourself that doesn't um, short sell your own value and Correct. your own mission. Um, and I, I can speak to that, that sense that taking time for oneself does come at a, at a price, uh, a self-imposed, maybe societally imposed price of feeling guilty. Correct. Um, just earlier um, off the mic, we were having uh, catching up on, and having some conversation, and you caught me uh, saying something about my musical... Uh, I was recently having a lot of musical ideas and a lot making a lot of time for myself in the studio and, and practicing, and I was calling it a distraction. And you, you helped me hear that, that I said that about myself. I said, oh, this is a distraction. You were like, well, hold on, that, that may not be a distraction. That may be the attraction, right? <laughs> right. And, and, uh, and so it was, it was good to have your ears on what I was saying to myself and helping me catch some words that I was using that um, you know, are, are kind of uh, self-imposed roadblocks or self-imposed limitations. Yeah, and it's, it's funny because I, I feel like words are very important, not just uh, as an art form, but words are important in terms of how we see the world around us and how we see ourselves. And it's not a new concept, right? I mean, it's a little bit of a, of a uh, soft concept. I mean, hypnotherapists and psychologists and people have for centuries talked about how words are important, the way that you talk about yourself, the way that you talk about the world around you. So when we use words like distraction or uh, energy drain or time suck or, or any other kind of negative phraseology to describe something that we care about, we are purposely, or rather not purposely, but we are uh, artificially distancing ourselves from the very things that we care about. We would never call our children a distraction. Right. So why would we call our passion for music, our passion for writing, our passion for leadership, our passion for world travel right. a distraction? Or how often do you hear someone say, oh, I had to put extra time in at the office and it was a distraction from the rest of my life. Right, right. right. There is a, a priority on working and achieving that sort of um, conventional success. Right. In modern America or modern Western civilization. And again, that it's a struggle for me personally to balance those as a as a father and a husband, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, trying to support the family as well as having an artistic side and, um, you know, really getting something out of the artistic side. So part of what I've been thinking lately and um, part of why I started putting this podcast out was, uh, you know, I've put all these hours into music and I've put so much soul into my my musical endeavors I kind of need to see something for it, you know, like I, I guess I'm I'm very proud of all the, you know, the recordings that I have and the the songs that I've written, but uh, how do I take it to the next level? So it isn't just a weekend warrior kind of Mm -hmm. thing and it, and it ceases to feel like a distraction. Like, you know, uh, to put it bluntly, you know, some people, I could call it just playing rock star, right? Like, like when I was a kid, I played ninja. And I played Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I would fight, uh, what were they, the Foot Soldiers? Yeah, the Foot Clan, I remember them. Right, yeah, so, um, you know, I almost feel like this is an extension of my childhood, where I I picked up a guitar, and 
you know, for some for some period of time in education, it's encouraged to pick up an instrument, right? It's like, all right, so Garrett's going to play trumpet. Okay, Garrett discovered guitar. Very nice. You know, all well and good. Now we're getting into high school. I see Dave Matthews doing his thing, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, that's so cool. I would, and then I started honing my songwriting and and started going out and performing, and it's like it's encouraged. But then you hit your 30s, and it's like, wait, is he still doing that? You know, like, <laughs> or it's like I almost feel like it's a make it break it point, or or I have to come to peace with some sort of vision of success for myself and and a balance with my other obligations, where I I don't feel like it's playing rock star, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm I'm like I'm uh, jumping around my room doing flying sidekicks and, and roundhouses, <laughs> uh, trying to beat imaginary foes, you know. But honestly, when I when I set up in there and strap my guitar on and start playing and, and uh, you know, I hit the record button, there's there's a lot of imagination that goes into it. So right. I feel like it's the same sort of brain space, but as I've become an adult, uh, maybe it's it's not as productive. Well, what I think I'd like to do is, is, is take your example and, and look at it in a mirror, right? So here you are describing yourself playing Ninja, and here you are describing yourself playing Rockstar. Um, but you haven't once described yourself as playing full-time job employee. Oh, yeah. um, but, that doesn't but, feel like play. <laughs> but how often, how often do we find ourselves straining, working to feel like we're doing the right thing by going to work? Right. When we get into our artistic space, we get into our creative space, and it doesn't feel like work anymore. Right. To a ninja, being a ninja doesn't feel like work. But to a ninja sitting behind a desk or making, you know, phone calls to sell insurance feels a lot like work. I, I believe that when, when you find yourself feeling that, that churn in your heart that you're working in order to work, that's the first sign that there might be something that you're playing mm-hmm. and you need to trust the instinct to explore the side of you that enjoys doing something equally. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want to get uh, t- too uh, um, confused about terminology. I, I was referring to playing in, in that uh, playful imagination. Oh, yeah, I understood. Like, so in a very positive light. Absolutely. And, and when you're talking about playing work, what, how, do you, how do you mean that? Like, so what like, I mean... Am I putting on airs? Am I putting on a fake self to get through the work day? Well, see, that's what I'm, what I'm saying is that many of us don't use the word play when we talk about work. But right. what you mean by play is pretend. That's what, you're, that's what I believe you're, under, you're, right, you're right. trying it's, to say. It's very, very close to it's, pretending. Yeah, it's yeah. very close to pretending. It's very close to effort. Right. right? Playing in, in, and pretending are all ways of pouring energy mm-hmm. into doing something that isn't natural, that isn't real, mm-hmm. right? I, I would say that work is a very real thing, mm-hmm. but enjoying your work, sometimes that takes a little bit of pretend. And really succeeding at work, especially if it's a job you don't much care for, that takes even more effort, mm-hmm. right? So, and I think that's what I'm saying. Whereas when you get into your creative artistic space and you start you know, jamming on a riff or you start uh, thinking about um, new lyrics for a song and you start taking experiences from your life and putting that into your music and putting that into your lyrics, mm-hmm. that is not pretend. That's the real Garrett Anderson. That's right. the real musician, the real author. Right. Um, so when I compare reality in your creative space to the pretend uh, endeavor of your day job, perhaps, if, if, 
if you feel if what I'm saying resonates with you, mm-hmm. then that's that's where I say, why not consider calling playing rock star real, mm-hmm. and why not consider you know full time employee what you're actually the role that you're actually playing. Right. Yeah. So to 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 pull that thread. Um, maybe other people will never take it seriously until I can take it seriously. Perhaps. I mean, if that's how, if that's how I won't open it up to let other people take it seriously until I take it seriously. I I, I believe that, that taking yourself seriously is a big step to take. Um, it's a commitment, it's a risk. Uh, but what I find interesting is that it's a risk that very few of us find ourselves willing to take. And I think a lot of it ties back to what you started with uh, early on in our conversation when you started talking about conventional uh, social thought. Mm-hmm. What's what is conventionally acceptable? Mm-hmm. Um, a 12 year old who is playing the piano and then starts to explore the saxophone. Yeah, that's all great and dandy to their parents, because from the parents perspective, what they're learning is math skills and what they're learning is social skills in a band or what mm-hmm. they're learning is some sort of, right. you know, soft skill that the parent approves of. But when that same 30 year old tries to play the saxophone and explore in the piano. Now all of a sudden parents' approval isn't quite the same. Right, imagine your best friend saying, hey, I'm gonna pick up the saxophone. Like as a beginner, you'd be like, is, is everything okay? <laughs> right? Yeah. You'd almost be concerned that there's some sort of midlife crisis. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, right away, I mean, I mean, it's, it's a warning bell to parents and peers and friends, and I don't think it has to be, but it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first step to any kind of rehabilitation, right, is to acknowledge it for what it is. Mm-hmm. So I, I acknowledge that when I, as a 36-year-old male, successful in my career, tell my wife that I want to be an entrepreneur, I just expect, I already know she's going to look at me and say, why? You've built so much, you've worked so much on your own, you've got this mm-hmm. successful career working for somebody else. Why would you ever want to change that? Mm-hmm. I absolutely expect that artists and and innovators and technology and technology gurus and and the next you know big idea out there is sitting on the shoulders of somebody who's afraid or who has the experience of telling somebody what their dream is mm-hmm. and getting that funny cross-eyed look that comes with the question why would you ever do that i thought you outgrew that mm-hmm. so do you have a sense of how the live me now framework is uh, similar or, or unique to other sort of life coaching or self-help like what would you t- say to someone like myself who's a little bit reluctant to reach out for help um, and a little bit you know uh, my independence has, got, has, has served me well but I, I think I've hit this sort of ceiling of my own you know my own making mm. that I, I enjoy our conversations and your mentorship in order to help me see through those and see myself and and my work and my craft in a different perspective um so you know why is it what you're presenting is is grasping me a little bit more than like you know a tony robbins or something like and i and i'm speaking somewhat out of my ass because i haven't read everything and i'm sure i would find very valuable things from other life coaches right um and and i don't even know if you like the terminology life coach but that's that's something that that i'm throwing out there for you to help kind of define your vision absolutely no i think uh i think that it's an excellent question and and it's one that i've actually um had to devote a lot of thought to because one of the things that i am uh, very focused on trying to do is distance myself from the concept of life coaching. Um, 
you hit the nail on the head. The terminology, again, words are important. The terminology I am specifically trying to use is mentoring because mentoring and coaching are very different things. Let's, let's look at three different models, right? There's the mentoring model, the counseling model, and the coaching model. Me now is all about mentoring. Mm. Mentoring goes beyond just me. Mentoring can be done by anybody that you respect, anybody that you ha- that you trust can potentially be a mentor uh, in your life. Counseling requires a license and it requires some framework that's been approved by bureaucracy. You can see as I talk about framework and education and bureaucracy, counseling is very much in that conventional way of thinking. Again, another word that we brought up earlier in our conversation. Convention. Convention. Right. And then you've got life coaching. Life coaching defies convention, right? Anybody can be a life coach. The, the main thing that I, that I uh, want to distance me now from in terms of counseling and coaching is the fact that when people seek a counselor or seek a coach, they're, they're, the sense is that they're admitting some sort of lack, some sort of flaw, some sort of missing piece. Mm. There's something wrong with them and they need a coach to help them. Mm. A coach by definition knows more than the person they're coaching. Mm. That's why you have a football coach or a soccer coach because they have a bigger picture, mm-hmm. right? You're a cog in a larger machine. They're the coach that drives the machine. A counselor has, you know, licenses and, and educational uh, success stories all over their wall. They know more than you. That's the, what the you're book smarts right. That's to your situation. That's what you're walking in the door. That's what most of us think when we think about people going to counselors. We think about people going to see life coaches, mm-hmm. is that they're seeking something that this other person has in terms of, you know, education or experience or some sort of character trait that they can learn from that coach or from that mentor or that coach or that counselor. Me now is all about mentorship. It's about taking people, real people, with all the same real challenges that we all know about in our lives and giving them someone they trust to pair with to walk through life together. Because nobody's missing something. Nobody's wrong about, about their passions, about their beliefs. They just might need the encouragement to trust mm-hmm. in themselves a little bit more. They might need the encouragement that comes from reading a success story or seeing somebody else who did it. Or, or an accountability buddy. Or an accountability buddy, exactly. An accountability uh, uh, peer, exactly. Yeah. So it's funny, if I make a commitment to myself, uh, I'm uh, maybe hit or miss <laughs> if I'm going to follow through on it. But I feel like if you hold me accountable for something, you know, if I tell you I'm going to put out a podcast a week, for a couple months and, and try to get in the flow of it. Um, you know, I, by making that commitment to you, for some reason, it like externalizes it and makes it more important to me for, for whatever reason. Right. We just have that character for me. Well, and, and we it, have that connection where it's like, I don't want to let Andy down. Well, and it may not be, it, I mean, I'm glad to hear that there's a personal connection for us as you know, in this conversation, but I would say that anytime you acknowledge a commitment to somebody else, it takes mm. playing ninja and it turns it's it in. Real. It turns it into becoming a ninja. Yeah. Right. right. I mean, it's, that's just the way it is. That's right. that's the power of peer networks. That's the power of community and mentorship. Right. Yeah. Community. That's that's an interesting word for a solo independent artist. Because, a um, uh, little backstory. Uh, we you know we were um, out doing a little shopping with family time, and I got to show you a guitarist, a jazz guitar player who was playing with an ensemble, and uh, he was just playing in the, in the shopping center quarter there, um, 
really nice uh, little festive jazz uh, uh, tunes. We got to see Let It Snow and my girls were dancing and it was the sweet moment, but you could see that I was drawn to the camaraderie with the guitar player that, that I knew, uh, Pete Pancrazy, actually for anybody here in Phoenix, um, a really great uh, jazz musician. Um, and uh, so I, I, I find that community with other musicians, but it's, you, you asked me, how do you follow up with that? And I, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't really follow up on it. I, I have the, um, the temptation and the um, maybe, uh, um, I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for here is, but uh, the, the trap of falling into my own echo chamber here mm. and putting out a podcast but not being concerned if anyone's listening or right. releasing tunes on SoundCloud and not being concerned if anybody's listening because right. to me, I, the process of creation is so fun that I almost, I, I cut off the community once it's once it's posted. Well, I guess for me, posting is, is my way of trying to bring the community in. You know, I'm like, hey, I share it. I, I send a text to my buddies. I say, hey, I just covered this fish tune um, back on the train. You know, go listen to it. Give me some feedback. And so maybe, maybe it's, maybe I'm one of those people that's always had a few best friends, but not really a wide social circle. And uh, I don't know how to translate that into uh, my, my music. Um, and, and one other thing that uh, I wanted to draw a parallel to was um, that starting doing these podcasts was a way to try to hold myself accountable from an exterior source. Right? <laughs> I started making commitments on the mic in these podcasts as a way of committing to myself, but in a more formal way um, by, uh, you know, committing also to the listeners um, and uh, committing to a listener base that you don't know is out there. Right. Right. Which is a very safe, a safe commitment right. because you don't know if you're right. failing to meet the commitment or not. Right. No, and I, I think that which I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, you, no, you're 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 hitting a number of really important points um, that I wish we had time to unpack, but we'll we'll focus on what we can. Um, the first don't, of don't give away all the secrets. <laughs> but the first of those is that uh, is that sense of community. I mean, what are what your listeners? don't get to see is the actual reaction you had talking to this other musician hearing that musician tell you good things about your music had a tangible effect on you your your mentality for the afternoon it's changed energizing. yeah absolutely and you're not alone in that like i mean don't get me wrong you're an artist and you're special absolutely I, snowflake. everybody's a special snowflake, snowflake. um <laughs> but but nobody is special in the fact that that when a when a trusted peer gives them supporting encouragement, they are energized. Right. That happens to everybody. What I think we lose track of, we lose sight of how easy it is to get that kind of encouragement when you're plugged into the right community. As long as you're plugged into a community of coworkers, you'll get encouragement about what you do for a living. But that community isn't going to know what else you do. Mm -hmm. So you can't expect your boss to pat you on the back for how good you are in the music world if he doesn't know that you make music. Mm -hmm. But he'll pat you on the back all day long about how, you good are, how good you are at being an analyst or, or responding to emails or anything else, right? Putting timestamps on reports. Per exactly. You're excellent, at, you're excellent at that. And you'll get pats on the back mm -hmm. for that. <laughs> but if you don't have a community that believes in the work that you're trying to accomplish for yourself right. and really your music is not for you your music is for your family it's for your children it's for the world that you love mm. it's a creative outlet for you but you're 
you're doing it for for reasons far beyond yourself. So that's I really appreciate that because we started this by talking about this sense of feeling guilty. Yes. And like it's a distraction and like it's selfish. And yet why am I so unwilling to see that that very tangible community that does spring up from the music? And this is why an, do I detach myself? This is that? another objective that I have with me now. I I call me now a catalyst for new thinking. Meaning that that me now is the catalyst. It is the reactant that causes people to rethink their traditional way of thinking. Mm -hmm. When you talk about guilt and you talk about distancing yourself from the things that you care about so that you can meet responsibilities. It's probably because I was raised Catholic. Well, it's probably because you are you're following conventional thought. Right. Everybody. It doesn't matter if you if you want to be an artist. It doesn't matter if you want to be an entrepreneur. It doesn't matter if you want to be a, a travel journalist. Mm-hmm. Right? At some point, we all run into hurdles. We all run into obstacles. Sometimes they're people. Sometimes they're uh, educational establishments that make us feel like what we want isn't realistic. And then because it's not realistic and because there's such overwhelming support for the idea that what we want is not realistic, then we start believing that what we have to do is the right thing Mm -hmm. and what we want to do is the wrong thing. And as soon as we label right and wrong, we introduce guilt. And when we introduce guilt, we introduce the dark side, right? Mm -hmm. Yoda had that going from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, So me now is trying to inspire people to rethink that whole concept. Why can't you do what you have to do and what you want to do? Right. Why not? Why not pursue your music and your day job? Why not pursue your, your great novel? Why not develop your app and do your day job? It, it will allow you the freedom to express what you care about while you're also meeting the obligations that you have made to your family or yourself or, or, or whatever responsibilities that you've defined. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've left a question unanswered or if I uh, somehow led you to an epiphany, but that's... No, I just uh, I have to have these moments of sinking in when I talk <laughs> to you because your brain works a couple ticks faster than <laughs> mine does. Um, and uh, maybe it's all those loud uh, band practices growing up. Um, but, but let me, so let me give you a more realistic, like let me give you a tangible um, example and maybe we can, and we can evaluate it from there. Um, Garrett Anderson puts out uh, live at you snippets on SoundCloud right. for an audience that, that may one day grow, but Garrett's goal is to commit to himself to putting something out there on a regular basis that introduces he himself as a person, mm-hmm. exactly. a person and a musician. Exactly, because I think that makes the music more interesting. But most Perhaps. of Garrett Anderson's live attitudes don't actually include music. They include Garrett mm-hmm. talking, and I think that's a great thing. But you just said that part of the reason that you're doing it is to make the music more authentic, right? To introduce yourself to an audience base that that wants to listen to you, that wants to understand you. Um, I wonder what would happen if Garrett Anderson took that podcast, took that regular recording that he puts out into space and marketed it on Facebook and marketed it on Instagram or on Twitter, Mm -hmm. or even if he put out cards business cards for himself at local coffee shops even the places where he plays gigs i wonder if he plugs his own 
his own podcast when he plays a regular gig, which we know he plays, you know, every on a regular basis month, each month. Right. Um, does Garrett plug his podcast to bring people to the podcast actively, um, or is it still kind of an experiment? It can be both, right. and it can be either or. There's no reason to make it something it's not. Uh, but when you open it to others, I think that's that's me getting props from 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 Jack. Jack's, I hope. Yeah, he's he's clapping for you. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is once you make it, like once you make it an ambition to share it actively, you're going to be at a whole different level of commitment with your audience. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to start seeing who you are in your podcast and who you are as a musician, and that's a point where you can't turn back. And sometimes that's scary. Yeah. Um, Terrifying. But. But to get to where you want to be, you already know that you're, you have to be there. You're building the foundation now. Mm-hmm. A mentor can help you overcome the fear, help you embrace the challenge, and unlock that side of you that you feel like is still just playing rock star. Mm. A counselor would probably help you to revert back to your childhood memories and figure out why you even want to try to be a musician right. at all. Right, right. And a life coach... Right would you know fill your ear full of why fear is the big blocking point and how you have to energize yourself through some sort of you know conversation with yourself in the mirror yeah um and those are powerful tools for a lot of people yeah um Um, but i feel not to discount those not at all uh but i do feel like for for individuals like you that have never really given it up yet who have never given up the dream who keep chugging along and and trying to make traction on both worlds a mentor is a really great fit. And that mentor, again, doesn't have to be me. Mm-hmm. The mentor can be any musician who's trying to do the same thing as you. Pete, who we talked to today, a professional instructor, a professional musician. who He found a way to make it his livelihood. What a perfect opportunity to mentor youth. And even talking to him today, he talked about the value of starting when you're young and having the energy right. to handle the churn of business and promotion and responsibility. Right, he was talking about doing six and seven gigs a week, and how that's one thing when you're 30, and, and a whole other thing when you're, you know, 60 like he is. Um, yeah, Pete's a pretty cool guy. I'm glad, <laughs> glad you got to meet him and, and kind of work that uh, vignette into uh, into this conversation as well. Um, yeah, so I mean, you always give me so much to think about, and 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 a lot to process, and and a lot of inspiration, and a lot of courage. Um, you know, frankly, this is the first time I've ever like interviewed someone on the mic. You know, like <laughs> if you if you could call it an interview, it's it's, it's kind of you know a dialogue. Yeah, but uh, but um, yeah, you you have a certain knack of helping me frame, uh, and, and you know we're not we don't have to get into the nitty gritty, but like I, I do have some questions to you about like what what should my next steps be as a uh, you know do I consider this a for profit business and how do I come to peace with that? Like mm-hmm. I've got um, hang ups internally about commoditizing relationships um which is a a phrase that i I, you know use to define um you know it's it's a drain because the the way that i grew up and and sort of the the dues the conventional dues there's there's even a convention within the music world absolutely i go play the bar um, people learn that i come play here they come see me they spend money at the bar i help the bar make money the bar can pay me right and it's this bit of a grind and um, it started to wear on me that I was promoting my shows to my friends and family. And if they didn't show up, you know, maybe there wasn't that natural crowd that was building. Like, I haven't 
been you know the overnight success sort of story where you know uh, and I don't know if that was the the right way for me to do it anyway like mm. I probably am not the right person for that kind of success um, I, I think I need to find my own version of success um, but uh, that that sense of commoditizing relationships started being really uncomfortable for me so I always tell my friends and family hey don't worry about it there'll be another one if you can't make this gig there'll be another one you know and that's that's uh, you know I so I, I come up I, I encounter these little hang-ups that make it feel like it's the wrong thing to pursue mm. and yet whenever I have downtime whenever I get in a really good mood I go do it right know? right and it's like well that can't be bad that can't be all bad right you know if I'm balancing my time with my family not ne neglecting my work um, or, or putting my family in a situation where it's gonna be a problem if I you know transition what what is my income then you know I'm doing a good job I should be giving myself a pat on the back from time to time right and so what you're describing is a, is a network of individuals one of the things I noticed um, one of the guys that, that had an endorsement on your site is uh, also a musician correct um, so I would you know I had the inclination that oh, what Andy wants me to do is reach out to this guy right and I was this close to doing it I didn't quite do it but I did go check out his SoundCloud uh, you know, you had a little link up there uh, to, to what he was doing, and I listened to a couple things. I was like, hey, that's kind of cool. You know, it's neat, um, and especially as a transplant, someone who moved from a very established uh, com music community back in Baltimore to here, we didn't know anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a cousin in Las Vegas, and I had a buddy that lived in Flagstaff. <laughs> and that's, those are that's your community. People, you know, exactly. that I knew that, that, that lived this far west. So we, we had a very disruptive life mo movement you know, which was good, but disruptive for sure, um, you know, for my wife's career. And, um, you know, the music thing had to kind of start back from scratch, from, from square one, from scratch. And I think that was a healthy thing because mm -hmm. I got to, I got to restart. Right. And put it down for a while and then see if it, if, if, if I had to pick it back up. And I absolutely had to pick <laughs> it back up. And I'm almost more inspired now than ever. Right. But I'm also afraid of things like retreating um, and being less available to my kids and my family because of of pursuing this aggressively. So I feel trapped between two worlds. But I feel like if I can reach out to that network and relate to folks and get that, hey, high five, you know, like, hey, maybe you need to wake up a little earlier or, you know, just find the time that is slipping away over frivolous BS, then, you know, maybe I can approach this with a little bit more structure and a little bit more self-love. So it's interesting, you, uh, another, another very solid example of Garrett pouring out multiple uh, powerful talking points in one snippet, and, and we have to go back and just pick a few of them out. So we'll, I'll try and pick out a few again. Because uh, again, another really, Sorry, you'll have to forgive me. I'm used to doing these by myself. Oh, no, where, it's, it's just... Where I have to just keep rambling or it's, else uh, stop. There's a lot of really, <laughs> um, really powerful stuff in your rambles. It's, uh, it's a little heart-wrenching to not have time to go into all of them. Um, but you talked about what's next for you, right? What's next for Garrett Anderson? Um, and then at the same time, you also kind of talked about, you know, how do I... Striking the balance without, uh, without sacrificing the things that are a priority in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also talked about, you know, transplanting yourself here and having to see if, if your music really was as much of a passion as you believed that it might be. Right. So I think 
those those three things, right, are are the three areas that I really want to hit on. One, and the easiest one, is that that boomerang effect of our passions. We put them on the shelf, and they come right back. Mm. We put them away in a drawer, and they come right back. We have some life event, something traumatic, maybe something something wonderful, whatever it might be. Those passions always come back. We have to trust them. We have to trust that they're coming back for a reason. Why fight with that? We fight all day with things that don't ever come back to us, right? We accept things that just have to be. Uh, taxes being an example. Taxes is something we have, we have to accept in the United States, in the United States. If you really wanted to evade taxes, you could. You could just leave. Mm-hmm. Even if you left, your music would still come back to you. It, it's a boomerang that you cannot escape from. And that passion happens for lots of different people in lots of different ways. Right. So let's start by trusting the passion. The next is balancing your priorities. I'll be the first person to say that nobody is making a wise decision by prioritizing something disruptive or destructive first. Your music, your passions, if you're a writer, if you're, if you're uh, creating some new piece of technology, you're not, destruct, you're not disruptive, you're not destructive to anything in your world by exploring those things. Your, your day job, if you have a day job at the same time, is going to get done. You're going to go to work. You might be tired, you might be bored, you might be frustrated. As soon as you stop going to work, as soon as you stop being responsible to yourself and to, to your employer, then you start entering into that disruptive, destructive realm. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be wary of that. But when you align your priorities, there's nothing wrong with putting work first if you choose to and then putting your music second or, per, or putting your, your family first and your music second and your day job third. Yeah, it's all about you shifting your priorities. Having, oh, well, this year was, you know, you reflect back, this year was more of a 60-40, 70-30 yes. year. I, next year, I'm going to make it a priority to make it a 50-50 year. Right. Or something along and those, and like, those are conversations you have to have with yourself. And that's, those are responsible, totally reasonable conversations to have. Conventional thinking tells us otherwise, right? Because you wouldn't want to sit down with your mom and say, hey, mom, I know I'm doing really well at work. I know you're really proud of me, but I think I'm only going to assign 70% of my effort to work and the other 30% to my music. Mom's not going to support that easily, right? My mom is not going to accept me going to her and telling her I'm putting anything less than 110% into my day job. Um, But then the last piece that you said is where do you go next? We've already, I think that you already have an idea of where you should go next because that's what causes you a little bit of fear, right? And, And I think that you're not alone in that. I know for me, when I was thinking about launching me now, I knew where it had to go. If I was going to grow with it, I knew where it had to go. And it was scary. Mm. And you have to choose if this is the year, if this is the month, if this is the quarter that you decide to make that bold leap, that bold step, right? You've got your podcast, you've got your gigs, you've got your music. You even have a vision for how to shape your music into your own career for-profit endeavor and you know that's what you want to do because without having to commoditize relationships without having to commoditize relationships so now all you have to do is put that plan in action i would argue even that you have to build a plan right to put a plan in action but whatever it is in your life that might be keeping you from the plan that's what i'm hoping that me now will help you build whether it's something i help you with whether it's something somebody else in the community helps you with Mm -hmm. the plan is one step closer to making you 
to bridging the gap between where you are today and where you want to be. Mm-hmm. And where you want to be, you want to be there for lots of reasons. You want mm-hmm. to be there for your music. You want to be there to show your kids that they can do it, that you can do it and they can do it. You want to be there to change the world. You want to be there to, to shape your life. Trust all those reasons that you want to be there and come up with the plan to get there. Right. And, and it, it, why is it that the fear of failure is such an easy, like early breaking point for someone like myself that's like, Maybe, you know, I'll do things that like this, put out, you know, 15 podcasts or something and feel, all right, I'm, I'm self-satisfied. <laughs> My live show is coming together nicely. But wait, I've got this this other objective here to be a successful songwriter and get my songs published and, and, and commercialized in that in that vein. I'm not pursuing that aggressively. And I think part of it is that fear of like, if I really try this and it doesn't work out, I'm going to be upset with myself. And we have to remember who defines failure. Right. Right. We're all used to failure. When we talk about it now. It seems like such an easy thing. Like right now, I'm I'm hurtling over that with ease. And it's because but it's when I'm by myself. Sometimes it's like ooh. And that's why com- that's why community is important, right? So, I I believe that failure is only defined by the person embarking on the endeavor, right? Failure is not defined by those around us. Conventional wisdom is that failure is defined by those around us. You set a goal, and then if the general public thinks that you met the goal, you succeeded. If the general public feels that you did not meet the goal, then you failed. Mm -hmm. But in reality, we are the ones that dictate whether we succeeded or whether we failed. And being in it is the only vantage point where you can understand where it needs to go next. Anybody from outside only sees the outside perspective. If you want to create music, you want to write songs and sell songs, then you start writing songs to sell songs. You start networking to sell songs. You start building a, a following. And if you sell a song, you succeeded. But if you don't sell a song, you still succeeded because you still pursued the passion that got you closer. Even if you fail 500 times, fail being the term that other people would use. Every one of those quote unquote failures is a lesson, a lesson how to do it right. right. right? I can take the same math test 100 times and I will look like I'm doing better each time because I'm taking a lesson away from each time that I don't pass the test. Right, and, uh, and to bring it back to the guilt thing too and the, and the fear of failure, I'm more afraid of my daughters seeing that I didn't pursue passion than anything else. I'm on, I'm on this microphone for fear of my son feeling like I never pursued my passions. And it's, it's fear on it's the fear is the term that we're both using but that's a misnomer it's not actually fear it's a sense of commitment to their future to show them that they are capable of anything they put their mind to you're someone's child too right and at some point in your life your mother and your father looked at you and knew you could be anything you wanted to be it's not too late to prove them right yeah that's awesome. <laughs> that's, that's probably the perfect way to, to wrap that up. Uh, really quick, I did pull this up uh, right when we got started. I meant to do this in the intro, but uh, here's my testimonial. Um, this is what I jotted down uh, for Andy to use on his website. Uh, LiveMeNow.com is where to check it out. And uh, hopefully you'll feel this way too after listening to this. Um, here's what I wrote. Conversations with Andy leave me energized, empowered, and focused. His friendly but firm style leads me to honestly assess myself and the landscape of my business opportunities. 
whether I need to discuss my next big idea, fine-tune my strategy, or determine the next baby step to take. I'm grateful that Andy is just a phone call away to direct my passion into progress. And uh, I consider myself one of the lucky few that, that does have you kind of on the line. Um, and I, I do encourage and, and, and see the validity in the idea that it, it needs to be bigger than just you. You know, you hopefully can scale this up to the point that you couldn't field enough phone calls to, <laughs> to, to, to you know, be a phone call away for everybody. But you can help be the, the tip of the spear for that network of of a way of thinking that's my goal yeah so that's that's super cool and something that can transcend you or me um so i really like that that framework you know it's it's not about uh, what andy thinks you should do it's about creating this community of support and and a different way of thinking and a different way of approaching uh the pursuit of things that are maybe a little less conventional and and we there are success stories out there absolutely and there's definitely uh ways uh, to tap into that um, so I think it's really cool that you're you're helping be a catalyst and a conduit for that for other people so thank you for doing that no it's my pleasure and and I'm hopeful that that I can see me now lead to more success stories because yeah. that success is contagious yeah. and all of a sudden one success story will turn into two more will turn into four more and exponentially we'll see our world change as then as the old way of thinking becomes no way of thinking at all yeah. and a new way of thinking becomes the new convention right and then we'll have more innovative thinkers come in and challenge that too and right. and hopefully as a society we'll just grow yeah blossom in, into the into the goodness absolutely sweet this was a blast man it was so fun to have another person <laughs> to do this with and, this was uh, a great time yeah i'm very glad to help uh, you know get your mission out there to my three listeners <laughs> i'm one of those three so Greetings to the other two. <laughs> One of them is me playing it back so that I know that it got uploaded correctly. There's a lot of pressure on that third person then. Hey, Mom. <laughs> no, I don't know. Some of them have a dozen. but no. I, I have absolute faith in your podcast, Garrett. Once we get it out to the world, there people will not, they'll struggle not to find joy and encouragement in the words that you share thanks man. but we've got to get it out there yeah and, and well and the funny thing is too is i'm not too hard on myself about these only having three listeners as we're joking because <laughs> you know it's content and it's something that we can look back on and say oh wow remember when it was like that you know so you know you got to start somewhere and i i uh, have a lyric in one of my songs where it's i've just begun to feel myself um, give enough slack to get off the hook oh i like right? it you have to cut yourself a little bit mm -hmm. of slack to get yourself off that hook of whatever is holding you back. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, so uh, so we have you have a like option, right, in SoundCloud. Yeah. There's so my my challenge is to anybody who's listening this long. I know we've been talking a while, but anybody who's still listening, if you want to see Garrett commit to a level that he has admitted fear of committing to, go ahead and hit the like button and if you have a suggestion for how he should commit whether it be through some new Facebook account or whether it should be through uh, through marketing or through something specific leave a comment that challenges him uh, and I think that seeing that engagement seeing the community step up and suggest something for you mm -hmm. will help to also inspire you to pursue that role uh, those are people who are on this journey with you yeah. amen all right. 
this has been a blast. Uh, let's wrap it up. You, I know you've got some family to go hang out with, um, but uh, but yeah, this was really cool. So um, special edition of Live At You. And uh, all right, everybody, be good. And um, LiveMeNow.com. Um, if you're interested, check it out. Uh, there's some really good stuff up there. You're doing blogs and stuff too. Yes, uh, sir. And sh- you know, sharing other links yep. and things. Yep, so yep. It's, it's got it's got a snowball effect, man. I, I hope so. I really enjoy checking it out. <laughs> Thank right. you. Peace, everybody. Be well. Their coffee love and our lives, they ain't in your sleep. The dreams of love, these dreams of.